0: Hello, this is Jacqueline Sanders-Blackman, here with a full-length episode of one of our SIP series, our STEM Information Podcast. And this series is also associated with our Ask the Agile Analyst. Some of you may have heard my previous podcast where I talked about, our previous Ask the Analyst series is going to break up into two series. Coop, Cooper Smith will still be doing some episodes with us to talk about everything from decision making uh, to uh, critical thinking and as well as improv. I will be continuing a series that's related to analysis in software development and design, specifically in the area of Agile. Many of you may know by day, I do business analysis and and have done business analysis for the last 30 years, which is where my, my passion for technology and computing and software design come from. And manifest themselves, and that extended into my interest for advocating and promoting STEM across the board—science, technology, engineering, and math. But this episode, I want to talk to my to those people. Whether you're in software design, uh, what the revolution that's happening in industries and businesses, anywhere where there's computing and where technology is part of the strategy, the topic of Agile is a hot topic. And it's not just a a topic, it's a framework, it's a mindset, it's a culture change, it's a paradigm shift, um, all of the above. And so basically, I'll start at the beginning, but then I'm going to dive deep into an area for those who have already attempted or started or in the middle of their transformation, I've got some key pointers for you. But let me just set up the topic for those who might be new to it. Agile, when I talk about it being a paradigm shift, we've gone through a period in software design where we tried to come up with the most structured development approach and development methodology so that everything was predefined and locked down well before you started creating the software. And In theory that's makes all the sense in the world. It's almost like you don't start building a car until you have uh, a, some type of blueprint all laid out. No different than if you're building a bridge or building a building. But software development quickly proved to be a little bit different and a little bit of a different challenge. Something that you often hear me say is that software development is not cookie cutter. And so for those of us who are in software development, that's a good thing. We, we thrive on the ever-changing, the new developments, exploring the unknown, trying and problem-solving but with that said, it doesn't fit nicely into a very structured or extremely structured methodology. So you can't know all of the specifics up front before you start building. Some things you just discover as you go along. Well, that resulted in many different variations of methodologies, but ultimately this 30 year to quest for a methodology that fit best with agile is now piqued everybody's interest and all the chatter is about agile and agile is all about flexibility and being able to pivot to learn as you go some people call it learning fast or some people call it failing fast but that's okay because that's also very much in line with the, the concept of how entrepreneurs and innovators and inventors come across their biggest and brightest and best ideas is by failing fast. So, with that said, Agile, this, this whole approach and framework, because I don't even want to call it a methodology, because it's just that flexible. The baseline for Agile is what's called the Agile Manifesto. So if you're listening to me and you're near your computer, just type in Agile Manifesto and you'll see kind of the framework for Agile. So that's kind of Agile 101 to start with. But what I wanted to really dive into is about those organizations that are have bought in and understand, in theory, what Agile is and now, trying to transform whole organizations over to Agile. And thus, my title, Agile Can Be Fragile. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because it's one thing to read a book that says, Hey, here's a manifesto. So if you follow this and, and here's some ceremonies and, and that fall under the umbrella of what we call Scrum. So, Agile Scrum. Or you use a, a Kanban board. Some people may say Kanban, but Kanban board to, to track information. And you buy a tool that was made for Agile. And, and even go a step further and you scale it. And you use one of the models for scaling, such as SAFE, Scaled Agile Framework. Just pronounce SAFE. If you do these things, then you are doing Agile. And therefore, you should see all the the returns and benefits of Agile. The flexibility, being able to build things fast. And again, I'm saying all this tongue-in-cheek because it couldn't be further from the truth. Again, if you just read a book, and I know some companies that do less than that, they just have people watch a video on YouTube. Then they say, okay, let's do Agile. But the truth of the matter is, is... That It's not a methodology, so it's not do step A, B, and C, therefore you are doing Agile, or you're doing Agile right. Again, it's not that simple. Furthermore, if you're doing it within the boundaries of a company or organization or a business that already has legacy approach, legacy training, and even legacy mindset, So in other words, an organization that has been doing waterfall for 10, 20, 30 years, and suddenly you say, we're going to go Agile. We're going to send some people to training. They're going to come back. They're going to have certificates. And now we're going to do Agile. It doesn't work that easy. As a matter of fact, that can complicate things. Because what happens, people get exposure to Agile. They have a their first experience is a bad experience, and then they become completely gun-shy. They almost look at Agile as if it's either a punishment or a way to trick them into messing up. They fear for their jobs. They they fear for their promotions. People who've been on the track where um, they've been performing quite well in the waterfall world, even if... It means late hours, long days, overtime, stress, you know, even uh, adversarial or combative environment among team members or other teams. But yet, people have been successful and um, received accolades and promotions and salary increase. They'd rather go with the known than trying something unknown that could risk everything as they know it. They've gotten comfortable even with the dysfunctional environment and framework that they work in. So put all that together with a bad Agile experience and you're going to have people who are reluctant to try or to trust that Agile is going to work. Suddenly you have a very fragile Environment, and I say this because I've created a boot camp with B two T training, which a, a lot of you uh, know me through, and and uh, as it relates to B two T training, and they I've created and and been a part of uh, transforming a curriculum, which includes an agile analysis boot camp and a safe boot camp or a scaled agile framework boot camp I should say so both of those offerings are available through B2T and as a result of teaching this and over a dozen different places just this year I see the same things over and over I hear the same things over and over and trust me I feel your pain I empathize I understand And a lot of it isn't just a training issue. There's a mindset and there's a disconnect. Because Agile can be used as a weapon. It can be used against people. It can be used to micromanage or isolate. It could be used for finger pointing. And I point all these things out. Because these are some of the same complaints we had with Waterfall. So why are we going to Agile and having the same complaints? Well, I would defend and can prove that it's not Agile, but it's just the same bad habits being carried over. And so you go to class and you return with the same bad habits. Then you're going to still see the same problems and issues. If you have an environment of finger pointing or people who want to be the superhero and put themselves and and being the hero above being a team member and being continually rewarded and recognized for that, then that's the behavior you're going to see. So it takes a big step back it takes sometimes what i tell executive management going slower in order to get faster if the long-term gain is going not just faster but building the right things and getting them to the customer sooner that's something that i also really try to stress that people change their vocabulary never do I like to hear people saying agile helps you go faster it helps you get the right things built into the customer and get them the right things the first time it doesn't shave time off of the build process or the, the design it doesn't even encourage you to to shortcut testing you might do it all iteratively and collaboratively but I still encourage you take the time to do a quality job the first time whatever that takes so it's not about cutting corners so with that said I truly am a witness to Agile being successful in many environments and probably in an environment just like the one you work in. The biggest difference is just the whole organization collectively taking a deep breath, exhaling, taking just a small step back in order to move forward. And the main thing that needs to be addressed above all is people's mindset and the culture. And a lot of people don't like me to to hear this when I'm coaching them and I say this. By and large, when Agile doesn't work, it's because you have a dysfunctional relationship Among, and between, either IT, the business, its stakeholder, or the leadership that is making strategy. And what it takes is not just one of these three changing, but everyone giving up something, changing their mindset, and leaning into some discomfort. If an organization is transforming to Agile and there is no discomfort, you're probably, no, you're definitely doing something wrong. And that means upper management, middle management, project management, developers, testers, business analysts, product owners, SMEs, customers, there's going to be some discomfort. This is a transformation top to bottom. This is a culture change. Now, I don't just want to just keep everything anecdotal and, and talk about uh, how Agile works or how it doesn't work, but what I would like to do is let's walk through some of the very practical things that I see get overlooked when we talk about Agile and Agile transformation and just make a list see if any of these and i i have before me 13 steps this isn't the unlucky number 13 this is lucky 13 13 steps and pointers around agile value management and analysis I want to take you from the beginning of the project all the way to the end and give you some of my key pointers along the way from an analysis and value management perspective because one of the pain points that people often find in Agile is that even though you're going through all the ceremonies and you're moving at a very fast pace, without some of the foundations that we identify in business analysis, you'll still end up building the wrong things really fast. Nothing frustrates a product owner more than receiving the wrong solution, especially after all of the extra pain and effort and engagement of Agile, but still getting random pieces and not getting the big, high dollar, high value, business value items that help lessen their pain for the problem you're trying to solve or help them reach and attain the opportunity that they're seeking. Well, where this all breaks down, and this is usually when we get the call at B2T, people say we're having problems with our user stories so let me know if this sounds familiar to any of you we're having problems with our user story that terminology has replaced what we used to always hear which is there's missing requirements it's now we're having problems with the user stories we need to get better at the user stories we don't know how to write user stories well It's because everybody likes to start and point to the smallest piece when really it's a byproduct of a whole series of events. And that's what I hope this roadmap that I'm going to talk through will help. One of the things is that we have to map what we did in traditional waterfall. And take and make sure we keep and maintain those pieces that had purpose and value in the software development process. One of the first things that I have my teams when they're setting up for a new project, a true, and by true, I'm putting that in air quotes, a true agile project. Which means we're talking about a small team, 8 to 10 people focused on some type of feature. epic that's been prioritized and is will be funded there has been a product owner assigned a developer a tester and a business analyst there may be a few other supporting roles on this team of eight to ten they communicate daily they have daily stand-ups they have planning sessions they have an standard agreed-upon cadence and which they deliver on a group of stories which they've agreed to which we call a sprint or iteration so before we kick all of that off and start finding and, and planning for the individual sprints which i'll call development sprints because this is the point where the work actually gets done. This is when the tester, the developer, the lead designer, the business analyst, product owner, all sit around and design, build, and test the component story by story. The stories represent basically the building blocks. The results of those stories are the building blocks to the overall solution. But before you start, you have to have some type of context. That hasn't changed. So one of the first things I have teams establish is what we call information radiators. Now, if you're not specifically familiar with information radiators, on B2T Trainee's website, we do have a vocabulary list for Agile. It's the Agile alphabet. Feel free to, to visit it. And we also have a comprehensive business analyst glossary. So I'm not going to explain each one of these terms, but I'm going to encourage you to visit our website to learn more about them. So you find you identify your information radiators. That would be your constraints, your dependencies, your risks, your decisions, your assumptions. Information radiators literally should be visible, working, collection, of bullet points that is posted usually on one of the white flip charts i have a a wall wallpapered whether it's in my own area or a conference room or what we when we turn a conference room into a war room which means it's dedicated to our project but they should be visible and anytime a constraint or dependency risk decision or assumption is discussed you put it up on the information radiator that's therefore it always stays visible to the whole team next one is a information radiator for out-of-scope items because yes in fact in Agile there are out-of-scope items when you are setting up iteration zero which is going to be the next thing we talk about you set up what's the scope of the project just because it's Agile does not mean it's a blank check and that suddenly the company has disregarded all budgets and says anything goes with Agile. Build whatever you want for as long as you want. That's not the case. With Agile, it wouldn't be around long if it didn't have a way to accommodate dates and budgets, deadlines. Okay? Okay. The next thing is also setting up your Kanban board for your or what we also call your discovery board when it's this raw stories during the brainstorming process of iteration zero. So create a space for to discover your raw stories and I'm specifically saying raw because the life cycle of stories they start off as raw then they become rough then refine and ultimately ready. So the raw stories are what we call the placeholders for planning purposes. Okay. Then the kickoff for iteration zero which is the planning iteration that's why it's iteration zero. Once we start giving numbers whole numbers to the iteration then we are in the development cycle. But in iteration zero, this is where you do all of your scoping, all of your initia- initiation and kickoff, and establishing what we also know as the features. With any big project in a scaled agile, you have an initiative that comes out of the strategic planning and pillars at the portfolio level. That's the top level in the hierarchy the portfolio level. The middle layer is known as the program level and this is where planning and coordination takes place. EPICS or those initiatives at the portfolio level are broken up into the features. Those features ultimately become user stories at the team level. But every user story should be mapped to a feature and multiple features make up an address, an epic, okay? Now, in Agile, since we keep everything lightweight, even the business case should be very lightweight. There are specific templates that are no more than two pages or one page front and back, which is your lightweight business case. Why we're doing this particular initiative. And that is also the epic value statement. From there, we're ready to kick off iteration zero. Some of the things that I recommend for iteration zero is just baselining with a problem statement a very lightweight problem statement and there's specific templates for that what we refer to as the context level data flow diagram for identifying your inputs and outputs and your high-level processes when it comes to software development Everything we do is about transforming and processing data. So understanding the data flow and the high-level processes are all part of your iteration zero and system thinking. The next big category is establishing your goals and your SMART objectives. Clearly understanding what you want to accomplish and how you're going to measure success. Next, your SMART objectives will be how you're going to make decisions about what's in scope and out of scope. If it does not align with your SMART objectives, then it's out of scope. The next big category. So we're now on the fifth category as I walk you through the roadmap. The next in iteration zero is populating your backlog. So identifying the features and the benefits for that objective. And there's also something known as minimum viable features. Even challenging whether you need all of the features And once we break down the features into stories, you need all of the stories within the features. So keeping the feature list slim from the onset. Furthermore, you then populate the backlog based on the stories that come and reconcile to each of your features so starting at the top an initiative can have many features and features will then break down into stories and the stories represent the functional requirements for your initiative but there are other work items that also get populated in the backlog that could include your technical stories your spikes, your non-functional stories, and by non-functional I'm talking about your security, your even performance, your SLAs, all of that, there are representation as work items. And don't forget your documentation stories. Now, if you have a big question mark when I said documentation, that's for a whole nother episode. I'll talk about documentation work items within agile because people think because agile promotes lean documentation and i said lean not no documentation but lean just enough agile is promoting that for the purposes of the software development process agile does not and cannot tell an organization not to create customer documentation or system documentation or support or help documentation or training documentation those are other work items that go with the deployment of a system so we'll just put a, a bookmark there and come back to that topic for another day but as we move through we now made our way through iteration zero We've started populating our functional user stories as well as other work items. And now, looking at the overall backlog, we have a couple of options. First of all, doing an estimate of the full backlog, taking each one of the stories and using relative sizing techniques. You may have heard of Fibonacci, one of my favorite is t shirt sizing. But then ultimately sizing everything in your backlog. Just a rough order of magnitude. It may take a few acceptance criteria. In order to uh, estimate and feel confident about those rough estimates. But add up all of those stories. Based on all of those numbers. Then take that. And document that as the total backlog then go back through and find your minimum viable product what is the minimum and sometimes this is where dates and deadlines come in if you have a deadline then what you will want to do is calculate the number of sprints that can fit in that deadline and give yourself enough room for any packaging, finalizing, hardening, DevOps uh, and any other type of formalities that are needed and make sure that you give yourself enough time which might mean you can't take and divide the number of weeks by two weeks And plan to do stories all the way up to the last week. The last two or so sprints might be just dedicated to packaging and the finalizing and administrative pieces. Once you have your minimum viable product, and one of the ways to approach your minimum viable product is by giving value points to each of your stories even numbering your value points 1 to 20 or 1 to 30 to say what are the items that bring the most value and letting that help you determine your MVP now that is your iteration 0 once you've established your MVP now you have your priorities and from your priorities what you want to do is I start doing your sprint planning your first time of doing your sprint planning you always want to have three sprints worth of backlog items and have those stories refined and ready then at your planning meeting Determine your velocity, which in the beginning might just be an estimation. From that, based on that velocity, pick the stories that you can put in that sprint. From there, the team makes sure that they are in agreement with those items and that they feel confident that once they commit, to the items in the sprint that they will be able to complete them. At that point, let the sprint begin. We begin what we call the Scrum Cadence. Starting with the planning, creating your visual Kanban, doing the work daily, having your daily stand-ups to touch base, and then At the end of your sprint, which is likely anywhere from two to three or four weeks max, but usually two weeks, you're doing some type of sprint review and demo. And keep in mind that the end of the two weeks is not the only time you can do, have to do, or can do a demo. You can do it at any point you have something where the product owner can give you feedback and let you know if you're on the right track, if we're going in the right direction, and if it addresses the acceptance criteria for the story. That's why when we talk about user stories, we refer to the three C's. The card, the conversation, the confirmation. At the end of each sprint, There's also a team retrospect. This is to check on the health of the team. One of the things that's so important to quality software is that you have an engaged, empowered, and motivated team. If they in any way feel demoralized or the energy is low, time and time again we've seen it reflected in the software. So again your retrospect should be an opportunity to see how the team feels about their role individually, their collaboration as a team, their communication as a team, and even if they feel empowered. From the retrospect in the demo, lastly, whether we're looking at the product or we're looking at the team, there's one key question. Are we going in the right direction? And everyone on the team should have a voice and answer that question. Some teams do it with the thumbs up, thumbs down. But one way or another, everyone should be able to weigh in on that question. Are we going in the right direction? And if a product owner says no, This isn't what I expected. This isn't going to work for us. There should only be one answer. Great. Great because we want to find out sooner versus later. Because if something's not right after two weeks, it's not going to get right after two months or two years. And I've seen people in a waterfall environment invest Years into a product, going in the wrong direction, never asking for course correction or feedback, but deliver a final product just to find out they built the whole thing off of a wrong premise. So value management is about asking the question early and often, are we going in the right direction? And the other important part about value management is asking the question, are we done? What you don't want to do is just to keep building and not on regular cadence ask, are we done? Have we addressed the problem? Have we taken advantage of that opportunity? Because there's always something else that we need to get to in the portfolio backlog. So the purpose of completing your team stories and features is to get to the next big thing because companies want to leverage agile so that the business can be agile. So this isn't just, it's going way past, and that's where scaling comes in, it's going way past just being IT agility. It's about business agility. And lastly, there's a, there's a very important line that I'd like to remind people about when it comes to value management and agile. And it starts out referring to simplicity. And they define it as the art of maximizing the amount of work not done. This is essential. Basically, in Agile, you want to keep it simple. You want to do the minimum. not. and You want to maximize leaving work undone. That means when the product owner says, Yes, we're done. This addresses my problem or my pain point. We don't need to go any further. Whatever is left in the backlog can be flushed, can be archived. And that's a good thing. We want to do the minimum to get the maximum benefit. That's true ROI. And we haven't been asking that question on a regular basis. So, I've just given you the 13-step roadmap. Now, there's a visual that goes along with this as well. And if you're interested in the visual, please send me an email at jsanders.com at b2ttraining.com. We'll be happy to send it to you. And if you're interested in learning about our boot camp and want us to bring our boot camp to your company or if you would like to attend one of our public boot camps, please again send me an email at JSanders at b 2 ttrainingcom that's B, the number two, the letter T, and then training.com. B, the number 2 dot com. Well, that's all for today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our full-length episode. And to my Agilist out there, don't be discouraged. Agile doesn't have to be fragile. Bye for now.